The following message entitled, Who Are You to Judge? Part 43 of the series, A Righteousness from God, was given by Bob Mundorf on the 12th of April, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. How many of you know who the Duggar family is? Raise your hand. Okay. Most of you know. The Duggar family is the featured family on a uh, reality television show on the Learning Channel. And uh, they have, uh, the show is called 19 Kids and Counting. Most of you know who they are. Uh, Jim Bob and Michelle have nine girls and ten boys and a lot of strong opinions and convictions, personal convictions about uh, how to live out the Christian life. They have convictions about things like dress, child-rearing techniques, schooling style, debt, and uh, a number of other issues. And they are Christians, but we all know that believers don't always hold the same convictions, do they? Sometimes they disagree about preferences and opinions and personal convictions on many issues. And in my experience, as I think back over the last few years, just talking to different people about the Duggars or they come up in conversation, um, I've, I've noticed that there, there are a few people who are kind of indifferent or haven't seen the show or don't really have an opinion, but for the most part, I've heard people have strong opinions on one side or the other about, you know, it's either like they really like the Duggars, oh, I love the Duggars, you know, I really agree with them, or, or man, those people rub me the wrong way, there's just something about them I can't stand. You know, so it's like usually one side or the other. And uh, the fact that they're on national TV, I know, definitely puts their convictions out there for people to judge and uh, to agree with or disagree with. But whether it's the Duggars or whether it's the person in the row in front of you, I believe this passage that we're going to look at today in Romans chapter 14 can really help us in responding. We'll see the way the Scriptures tell us to respond to Christians that... Maybe we don't agree with the way they do things, or we have different personal convictions. They have different viewpoints or opinions than us. And so we need to respond the way the Scripture tells us to respond to that when Christians bother us about their personal convictions. That's what this passage is going to help us with today. Before we look at it, I want to throw out just a few examples about, for example, the Duggars, or it could be anyone that has these positions that maybe really turn people off, or really turn people on. And uh, some of those things are, okay, dress, for example. So, so the Duggar family has opinions on dress. The Duggar women wear uh, skirts, long skirts to their ankles. You generally don't see them in shorts. If you go to the beach and they're there at the pool, you're not going to see them in a bikini or a two-piece. Their swimsuits even are uh, like from the knees to the shoulders. And some of you, I think, probably really respect that and think, that's great. And some of you think, whoa, um, that's like excessive and prudish. So we've got opinions, I'm sure, on, on both sides. Another issue would be schooling style. So the Duggars homeschool, and our church has quite a, variety, quite a variety of opinions on this issue. Some folks would say, you know, go Duggars, you're doing the right thing. Other folks might not have an opinion. They might say, you know, whatever floats your boat on that matter. Yet other people might say, well, I don't think that's right. You are isolating your kids socially and that's not healthy. So, variety of opinions. And I've heard, I've heard those opinions from even folks in our church. So I know they're all out there. Um, another issue that the Duggars have a conviction on is money. Uh, they're debt-free people. They don't believe in having any form of debt. They believe that having debt is unwise. And some of you who I know follow Dave Ramsey and uh, other people who think like that, you know, you, you say, yo, yeah, free and clear, that's, that's right. Free and clear, no debt. Um, other people are like thinking, this is just ridiculous. This is far too restrictive. Why, you know, why do they have to have these rules? And we'll give one more just because I think this one will get you uh, thinking. Here's another good one with the Duggar family. The Duggar family has a strong conviction about dancing. They do not dance. They feel that da dancing, especially co-ed dancing, boys, girls, men, women, can stir up sensual desires. So dancing isn't something that they get into. Okay? Um, 
And some of you might be thinking, hey, that, they have a point. You know, they have a point there. Others, uh, the word legalistic might be slowly creeping into your mindset when you're thinking about all of these different personal convictions. So let's see what the Word of God has to say. Turn to Romans chapter 14. And uh, these are the kinds of things that we're going to be talking about today. And specifically, how does God's Word tell us to respond to people who have different convictions. So how do we respond to the Duggars? Or if you love the Duggars, and you're like, yes, go Duggars, they've got it right. How do you respond to people with maybe looser convictions? Like that don't wear denim skirts to the ankles, they wear skirts to the knees. Or that, uh, you know, go to dances, or smoke a cigarette. or what, We'll talk about all of these things, but that's what this passage is going to answer for us. Are the Duggars being legalistic? Are people that don't agree with them being worldly? Um, what should I do if I find myself judging or despising the people in the other camps that I'm not in? That's what the, this passage is going to help us with. So let's read it all and then we'll walk through it slowly. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 13. It says this, As for the one, let's pray first. Let's pray before we read. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see your word and ears to hear. We pray that we would be able to learn from this. We pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that you would let your word penetrate, and uh, help us not to be resistant, and help each one of us to think of ourselves as we read this, and not think about all the other people that we think should listen to this, but think about ourselves Help each one of us individually, we pray, with this passage. We're dependent upon you to do it. And that's why we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 14, 1-13. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And that who are you to judge, that's the title of this message. Who are you to judge? And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Uh, since, he, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. So let's take a closer look at this passage. Look at verse 1. It says, as for the one who is weak in faith, Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, as you can see, this passage, this is a passage that deals with opinions. Opinions. Other translations might call this word or phrase disputable matters, or questionable matters, or doubtful issues. Very old translation calls this scruples. And I looked up the word scruples to see what it meant. And it's a perfect fitting definition. Scruples means feelings of doubt or hesitation with regard to the morality of a course of action. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. Scruples. 
feelings of doubt or hesitation that doing something is, is right for me or moral. We call these, many Christians, I think most of us call this today, personal convictions. We say, I have a personal conviction about that thing. Or he or she has a, a personal conviction. The Duggars say they have a personal conviction about dancing. So Christians have personal convictions, feelings of doubt, hesitation about the morality of different things. And as we read, the hot topic in the Roman church was, Paul mentioned two things, diet, meat or veggies, and uh, days. So observing some days as holier than others. And today we're going to look at a number of different things. We're going to apply this to a number of things. And we're not going to apply this to everything that it can be applied to. So we'll let the trust that the Holy Spirit will bring different things to your mind. But we've already mentioned a number of things, you know, with the Duggars, the dress, the dancing. Um, here are a few other examples, just to get your wheels turning a little bit. Uh, movies. So movies are a great example of this. Are, are they acceptable? And uh, if so, which, which ones? Which movies? Some Christians feel, have a scruple, a doubt or a hesitation about the morality of, of all movies. You know, some Christians say, oh, you should not watch movies. I don't watch any movies. Other Christians might have scruples about movies with violence. While some of you might think, well, violence doesn't bother me. Um, you know, what, is, the, is the rating system the way to go? The national GEPG, PG-13R, is that in line with the Bible? Like, can I stand up here and say, do not watch rated R movies because the Scripture forbids it. And what if a rated R movie is, is violent but doesn't have other things in it? You know, some Christians, like, they won't watch any movies with swearing. Uh, some Christians will. Some Christians, like, only if it's certain swear words. So, it's, it's um, you, you see the range here, right? There's a broad range. These are, movies are disputable matters. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Music. Is this kind evil? Is that kind acceptable? You know, like, can you just uh, put an X over whole genres of music? Like, is rock of the devil? Is, you know, is rap bad? Is, you know, Christ, different Christians, they have different hang-ups on different kinds of music. So these hang-ups, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Hang-ups. Music is disputable matters, opinions that Christians have. And let's take music a step further. Um, so... How about, I, got, I have this church near my house, about a mile from my house, this little church, who, if you would ask them, they would say, they, they don't use instruments. Actually, they don't even have music, now that I think about it. But they don't, they, there are churches who have music, but they don't use instruments. So, this little jig that Barry did on the guitar, which I thought was pretty cool today, they would have a real big problem with that. A real big problem. Or, you know, any of these things. Um, so, you know, how do we think about that? Is that, is that church, the people in that church allowed to have that opinion? Yes, they are allowed to have that opinion. Are they right? No, they're not right. Can I hold to my conviction that they're not right and still not judge them for having that opinion? Absolutely. That's what this passage tells us to do. We can hold to our convictions without judging or despising or looking down upon them for not having music. So, I want to be expressly clear about that, and I'll remind us throughout this passage. I'm not saying, let's not have any convictions, and let's celebrate everyone else's, and like this whole idea of moral relativism and, and tolerance that they preach on campus. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about not judging or despising the people who have different convictions than us. This passage makes it clear we're allowed to have those. Are they all right? No. So... There are a lot of different things, and we'll bring up more, I think, as we go on. But one very important things, thing to say before we go on, and this is, this is really important, is that personal convictions or disputable opinions or these things that we're talking about, they do not apply to things that the Scriptures clearly define as sin. So, you can't have a personal conviction that murdering people is okay. You can't have a personal conviction that homosexuality is okay. 
You can't have a personal conviction that premarital sex or adultery or drunkenness or unforgiveness or greed is okay. The Scriptures are very, very clear on certain issues. And so where we don't want to go with this message is we don't want to go into just moral relativism. Everything's okay. Let's accept everyone and not correct anyone. That's what Satan wants. That's, that's what Satan's done from the beginning in the Garden of Eden when he said, did God really say this? And that's exactly what the people that are influenced by him are going to say about these very clear black and white scriptural issues. They're going to try to bring them into this discussion. Did God really say that? No, yes, yes, God really said that with these things. The things that we're talking about today are the things that the scripture doesn't give clear black and white definition on. We have some freedom. We have some Christian freedom. And I heard a, a quote that I think really applies to this very well. And there's some... Nobody really knows who said this. Some people think Augustine said it. But this quote is, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. And that's what we're talking about here. There are things that are absolute and essential. And we must have unity in those. And we will divide with people over those. So, for example, uh, our Good Friday service is a great example of this. All the, the different seven pastors that spoke at that service would have different ideas and opinions and personal convictions about certain matters outside of the topic that we were gathered around. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the death of Christ. But every pastor there, that's an essential, that's an absolute. We have unity with all of those brothers in, in that topic. And that's why we could have fellowship with them on Good Friday. We, we you know, we couldn't maybe have fellowship with them at other teachings where they might go into some of these issues that we have a conviction on that's different than theirs. So, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. They have liberty. We, we can have our convictions and we can let them have theirs. And in all things, charity. We're going to love everyone because the Scriptures tell us to. So, during the rest of our time, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage and I'm going to break it up into six different things. just want to make it easy for you to remember these things. These are six things to remember when Christians with different convictions bother you. So I'm pretty sure that every one of us can think of a time when a Christian with a different conviction, whether it be higher like a tighter restrictive standard or lower like a, a loose standard, has bothered you. And... Um, these are six things that, that the Scriptures tell us to remember that I think are going to really help us. So, number one, accept, accept or welcome. Don't reject Christians with different opinions than your own on these matters. This comes from verse 1. And it says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. That means receive him. That means accept him. It means don't reject him. Welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. We'll look at that second part in the next point, but this is about welcoming him. Now, first of all, I want to point out, this, this talks about the one who's weak in the faith. So what is that? I mean, we have to figure this out first. What does that mean? Who is the, the one, the Christian, who's weak in the faith? What does it mean to be weak in faith? Well, actually, I want to point this out, and I didn't know this before I started studying Greek, but... There are some translations that translate this weaken the faith and make it articular. They put the word the before faith. You might have a King James, you might have a New King James, but then there are others like the ESV who just says weaken faith. Now why is this a big deal? Why am I even stopping to talk about this? It, I think it's important. The Greek actually does say weaken the faith. And sometimes you don't need the word the when you translate Greek into English, but in this case you do. It's, it should say the one who is weak in the faith. And here's the big deal. The faith in the Bible is different than just the word faith. The faith, the faith in the Bible is talking about the body of doctrine that has been committed to the saints once and for all in the Holy Scriptures. Jude defines it that way. So it's, it's the Word of God. It, this is the faith. It's everything that God has said and every way of living that God has given to us. And that's different than faith. 
Faith is just believing. You're, you're, we each have faith in the faith, but faith is, that you have is subjective. This is the objective. Faith is um, it's, it's what you believe. And so another example of this, just to help us quickly, Ephesians 6.18. You, you know, you probably don't have to turn there. It's the passage that says, that, um, it says, take up the shield of faith, the armor of God. It actually says, take up the shield of the faith not take up the shield of faith. And here's why that's important. That's important because your belief doesn't extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one, but everything that God has written does. Your belief doesn't extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one, but everything that God has written in the faith does. You see the difference? The person who is weak in the faith is the person who's weak in the Scriptures. They don't know exactly what the Scriptures say. They don't apply them rightly at times. And so, that's what we're talking about. Hey, they have all the faith in the world in what they believe. And that's, that's what this passage is saying. Faith is being convinced of something. And they have conviction. They are convinced that they shouldn't do this or they should do that. They have faith, but they don't, they're weak in the faith. Does that make sense? That's what we're talking about. This person, uh, they might not be as strong in the faith as the person in this example who's meat, eating the meat. So it says the weak person eats veggies, vegetables. The strong person eats meat. So how, how does that work? Well, the person who's strong in the faith understands, because they're strong in the faith, that even though this meat might have been offered to, to demons and pagan gods, and that's why the other people didn't want to eat it, they know there's not a demon in the meat. Meat is meat. There is only one God. And so they know that because of the faith that they have in the faith. And they, they're stronger. This passage is describing them as stronger. So here's the deal. We tend to want to isolate ourselves from those who might have a weaker understanding of the faith or we think have a weaker understanding of the faith. We tend to want to isolate ourselves from people who have different personal convictions than us. We can say it that way. And we're not allowed. That's what this passage tells us. Welcome them. Accept them. Don't reject them. Receive them. And here's where the second part comes in. This is number two. Receive them, but not to quarrel over opinions. So, this is saying... You don't want to like accept the people who have different convictions than you just to quibble or quarrel or dispute over these, these different opinions. We're not allowed to do that. And that, let, me, let me tell you, I know that many of you have looked at like Christian blogs and Christian articles and you've, you've scrolled down to the comments on these blogs or articles. If you want an example of what not to do, scroll down to the comments of these blogs or blog articles. Because a lot of times these blogs are talking about one of these controversial issues. And you scroll down there, and the person starts off, the person who's doing what this says not to do, starts off by welcoming. Hey, brother, welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for your comment, but you're a stupid legalist, and you're being overly restrictive. And then they just tear into them about the opinion, about the difference. That's, that's wrong. That's exactly what this is telling us not to do. And this applies not only to the Internet, social media. This applies to just our, our life. If you don't agree with somebody, we're going to see in a little bit, that's for you to keep to yourself. That's why it's called a personal conviction. We'll see that coming up. But this reminds me of what, something that happened a few years ago. Mark and Joe and I were at a conference called Together for the Gospel. And the purpose of this conference is, is just to, to uh, apply and, and play out the very thing we're talking about, that we can come together and where we're united. And that is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's for all kinds of Christians. And uh, the focus is supposed to be the absolutes, the essentials. So we're at this conference and um, Joe bought a couple extra coffees for the guys behind us. There's like thousands of people here at this conference. But, uh, you know, there's Joe always thinking of others. He bought, buys some extra coffees. And we get back to our chairs and he turns around and we offer these guys some coffee. You guys want some free coffee? You know, and, uh, and they're like, yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. And they welcome us. They say, hey, 
you know, good to see you guys, introductions, everything's friendly. And then this one guy, very next thing, launches into this tirade about, do you, what kind of schooling do you do? Because if you homeschool, you, if you public school, you are turning your kids over to Satan. So he bring, the first thing he brings up is a controversial issue. And, and we're going to talk about homeschool, public school. That's one of these disputable opinions, disputable matters. He did exactly what Romans 14.1 is telling us not to do and what Together for the Gospel is supposed to be to fix. Launched right in to a controversial matter. So, usually though, the deal with these, any of these issues, and we're, we're, the deal is wherever somebody stands on one side or the other, that person thinks they're the stronger brother. No, nobody thinks they're the weaker brother, right? Like, you pick any side of any one of these issues, and whoever has a strong personal conviction, well, they're, they think they're the stronger brother. And that's great, because that works to apply our passage. Because the stronger brother is the one being addressed here, for the most part, about not quarreling and not bringing up the issue. So, uh, as we read, the issue in, in Rome, first century Rome, if there was an internet back then, there would have been blogs about eating meats or vegetables and uh, honoring one day over another. So, look at verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Who are you to judge? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So they didn't have, they didn't have vaccinations or Harry Potter back in that day, so meat and vegetables were the things to have judgmental attitudes about. And uh, the big idea in these verses is point three. Don't despise or judge Christians with different personal convictions than your own. This is the big idea. Um, so these, I've got to point out, these Romans weren't differing on uh, diet because of health reasons or um, animal rights or anything like that. Um, so if you're vegetarian for any of those reasons, this isn't applicable to you. They were, uh, as I mentioned a little bit ago, they were concerned, the, the, the quote, weaker Christians in this passage were concerned uh, and didn't want to eat meat because uh, in that day there was a lot of the meat at the meat market. When you went to buy meat, it was killed by pagans who were offering that cow or sheep or whatever as a sacrifice to an idol. And so they, they would sacrifice that animal and you know do their thing and then give the meat to the meat market and they would sell that meat. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's understandable that these people had a conviction that they didn't want to eat this meat because it was offered to an idol. I can totally understand that. But the point here is, Paul's point is, the stronger brother understands that this meat doesn't have demons in it. It's, it's okay. It's just meat. Um, it's not going to hurt you. And nevertheless, this passage is telling us that if a person has a strong conviction about that, and felt comfortable eating only vegetables, that's okay. That's fine. You don't need to get your knickers in a twist because somebody's only eating vegetables. It's like, that's okay. We're supposed to let them have their personal conviction without judging or despising them because they land in a different place than us. So imagine what was going on with people were getting all you know, heated because, well, they don't eat meat and they're arguing about it. Verse 3, though, says, Let not the one who eats, despise the one who abstains. And, on the flip side, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And these are the two tendencies of Christians that have strong, different personal convictions, aren't they? Uh, the first is that believers who, who feel that they have a stronger, more right opinion than you tend to despise believers that choose to abstain from things. What, is, what does despise mean? Well, biblically, biblically, 
Uh, Think of when it says that Jesus Christ, enduring the cross, despised the shame. In other words, it was shameful for Him, the God of all creation, to be crucified in front of everyone on the cross. And people were mocking Him and making fun of Him. And that could have been a big thing to Him, but He counted that a little thing, an insignificant thing, because He was enduring it to save everyone that was going to be saved. And there was just so much greater outcome that the shame was really insignificant to him. He didn't consider it a big thing. Despising someone is thinking, oh, they're, in, they're in, insignificant. They don't matter. They're puny. You know, I'm me, you. Me, you. It's like, that's despising. And, and this is telling us that Christians that feel like their opinion is stronger than the other Christian, that can happen in our heart. And I think we know that that can happen in our heart, but it's a sin. We're not allowed to do it. So, really, this is talking to the person with looser, more lenient convictions to not feel this way about the person with higher standards or tighter, more restrictive convictions. So, so if you look at the Duggars and you think, you know, legalists, um, that's despising them. They have personal convictions, and they're allowed to. And there might be a lot of people who have more restrictive convictions than you. We should never despise them. It should never be me, you. Because, it says in our passage, the Lord has welcomed them. He upholds them. And it's Him who's able to make them stand. He loves them. They're His children. Just as much as you are. And on the flip side, let the one who abstains, the one who has higher, tighter, strong, you know, uh, I don't want to say higher, but more restrictive uh, personal convictions. They like their skirt to the ankle. They uh, don't eat the meat. They, you know, don't want to mow their grass on Sunday. What? Let them. I mean, that if they abstain, that's fine. And, but they should not pass judgment on the people who do eat meat, the people who do use guitars to worship. So it's both ways. We should not judge them, uh, those people who have looser standards than us. Now again, this isn't talking about sin. This isn't saying don't correct somebody who's in sin. This is, these are disputable, questionable matters. So, uh, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Now, oh, I want to bring up before we move on a couple just Christian code words that I know that that we all maybe have observed in this issue. Like whether you're on one side of the, the issue or the other. Whenever another Christian bothers you because of their personal convictions. Here, here are some code words. And these aren't bad words, okay? And I'm not saying don't ever use these words, but these words are misused in this discussion a lot. The words are worldly and legalistic. Okay? Worldly and legalistic. And here's how they're misused. Um, Worldliness morphs into anything that is looser than my own personal convictions. You know what I mean? So if I have a personal conviction about something, like I don't do this thing, but you do, oh, you're worldly. That person's worldly. Because they're, it's, you know, it's so loose. I mean, and and on the flip side, if, if I, if I, if I look at you, and you have some kind of more restrictive standard than me, oh, you're legalistic. That's a legalist. You know, that's not what legalistic means. I mean, legalistic is, I think through church history, it's meant anyways, like if somebody says that doing the thing that they're doing causes them or, or at least plays a part in their salvation. So, if I said, if I'm... You know, if I'm a woman and I wear denim skirts to my ankles and I say, anyone who wears a skirt to the knee is going to hell. And I'm earning favor with God because I wear a skirt to my ankle. That's legalistic, okay? 
That's saying that something I do plays a part in salvation. That is totally wrong because the Scriptures tell us that we are saved by God's grace, not by what we do. So, and, and you know, on the, the flip side of that, um, if, I, if I'm a woman who, who wears, you know, skirts to my knees, but your conviction is that ankle length is modest, then, you know, you could be judgmental toward me and say I'm worldly. Now, I do understand, and I've got to say that the Scripture doesn't give standards in modesty. But everyone knows, if someone came into this place this morning wearing beach attire, everybody would say, well, that's, that's not appropriate. There's something wrong there, right? But, there, there, so there are... Uh, wearing things that are, are less modest could be considered worldly because worldly, as defined in the Scriptures, 1 John 2.16, is promoting or doing anything that... Uh, that promotes the lusts of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh, and the pride of life. So if you're dressing in a certain way to show off your body, or even if, you know, if, if, it, if that's happening, then you might be worldly, based on 1 John 2.16. The point here is, though, you know, if there, the Scripture doesn't give lines. I just got to ask the question, because I'm thinking of it right now. This is just something to get you thinking. Why is... Not, I'm not landing anywhere, but why is one way of dressing okay on the beach, but not here? I heard someone call that situation ethics. Or, it's just to get you thinking. Is that, you know, I'm getting off my notes, and I don't want to <laughs> do that. But I do want you to think about that. All right. So, where are we? See, when I do that, I lose my place. This doesn't mean that we can't have personal convictions. We can have personal convictions. But they are to remain personal. Uh, Paul goes on in uh, verse three, 3 and 4. Let's just look at that again. Let not, one, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another. It is before his own master that he stands or falls. God has welcomed him. This is like what we've been saying about this morning. We stand in God's grace. Every one of us, no matter where we land on these things. Romans 5.2 tells us, through him, Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We are welcomed by God because of grace, not because of where you land on this issue or that issue. And we are all welcomed if we believe in Jesus Christ. And that's how we're supposed to think about one another. We are all welcomed by Him because of grace. So, God's received the pro-public school parent and He's received the non-dancing dugger. He's received them both by His grace. He's received the guy who mows grass on Sunday. He's received the guy who doesn't. He's received different people with different convictions if they believe in Jesus Christ. Number four, let each Christian be fully convinced in his own mind. This comes from verse five. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, here's where Paul changes the illustration from diet to days. This was another hot topic back in the Roman church, days. And the big idea in this passage is that whatever you decide in matters of these disputable opinions, uh, seek the Lord's will in them for yourself until you're personally, fully convinced in your own mind. Jump down to chapter 14, verse 22 and 23. This, this overlaps with these verses. These verses help explain this. They say, The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. See, these are called personal convictions. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he, his eating is not from faith. 
For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What is this saying? This is saying that each one of us on these issues has to be fully convinced in our own mind about these issues. This means that if you're doing something that you're not fully convinced of, God hasn't given you the green light for. So here, okay, Paul's talking about days. Let's just use an example. If you, if you have a personal conviction that you don't want to do any work on, on Sunday, the Lord's Day, because you want to honor the Lord that way, you're doing it unto the Lord, and I try to force you to mow your grass on Sunday, and you don't, you don't have a green light from God, you're not fully convinced in your own mind, but you do it anyways, and you feel bad about it the whole time, you're sinning. Is it sin to mow your grass on Sunday? No. But if you're fully convinced and you're not doing it from faith, from faith, verse 23, it's sin for you. That's why we should never pressure people that have personal convictions. Can we talk to them about it? Yeah, in a nice way, but we should never despise, judge, or try to coerce them to go against those things. That's what this passage is telling us. You could be causing them to sin. God's okay with us having these, these, these personal convictions. But give people personal space. That's, that's what this passage, this verse here is telling us. When it comes to questionable matters, give people their personal space. Don't judge them, don't despise them, and don't get all up in their face for not doing it and make them feel badly about it. This is reserved for them and the Lord alone. That's why it says in verse 22, the faith you have, keep between yourself and God. Here's another thing. Here's another application of that. Keep it between yourself and God. In other words, if you're the person with the conviction, don't put your conviction on everyone else. You know what I mean? If I like to wear a suit and tie to church, there's nothing wrong with that. But I shouldn't stand up here and tell all you that you're sinning if you don't wear a suit and tie to church. The Bible doesn't say wear a suit and tie to church. Keep it between yourself and God. That's what we're supposed to do with these things. Don't put other people under your own personal rules. Number five, understand, we have to move, number five, understand that people have all kinds of different ways of honoring the Lord. I was talking with Bob Crawford Friday. And he was telling me what a culture shock it was after growing up in a Reformed Presbyterian church in Pittsburgh when he started going on uh, mission trips to other countries like Africa and uh, seeing the way that these true believers worshipped in a far different way than his growing up days in a Reformed Presbyterian church. Like they were worshipping for hours in 100 degree temperatures without air conditioning before the message even starts in their getting pretty crazy and dancing. And, and uh, they, were, they were doing that unto the Lord. And it was, Bob said it was very good for him to see that. People have all kinds of different ways of honoring the Lord. And that's what this, this uh, verse 6 through 9 is about. Let's look at it. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. So apparently some folks in Rome believed that certain days were, were holier and that they should or shouldn't do certain things on certain days, while others held that every day is the same. And uh, that's perfectly acceptable to the Lord because they're doing it to honor Him. Whichever side they're on. If they're abstaining, they're abstaining to honor the Lord. If they're honoring the day, they're honoring the day unto the Lord. So it's about your motivation for doing it. And people with personal convictions, have, they have motivation for doing whatever they're doing. 
They're doing it unto the Lord. That's what we're talking about here. The kinds of things that people do differently than you, but they do it unto the Lord. Again, we're not talking about violating clear passages and sinning, but we're talking about disputable, questionable matters. So, just a quick example. When I was when I was a kid, uh, I had one brother. Have one brother, and he used to like to honor my dad by cleaning his car. He loved cleaning cars. And I didn't love cleaning cars, so I didn't honor my dad by cleaning his car. Um, I honored my dad by doing things like splitting wood for him and clearing brush. And it's just the stuff I like to do, but I, if it needed done, I like to honor my dad by doing those things for him. Not all the time. My dad going to listen to this message and say, you didn't always. But when my heart was right, that's how I used to uh, like to honor my dad. Now, what if I thought it was stupid that my brother cleaned his car? That's dumb. That's a ridiculous way to honor my dad. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter because my dad thought it was good. And the same with when I split wood. My brother would have judged me. And we didn't judge each other for these things. But if we would have, they both, my dad, he, he uh, appreciated both of those kinds of things. Dif- completely different ways. That's what we're talking about here. People do different things, but if their motivation is to honor the Lord, if the guy who doesn't want to cut grass on Sunday, if, if he doesn't want to cut grass because he's honoring the Lord through that, then I think that's wonderful. Let him honor the Lord that way. Don't pressure him. Um, so it's, it's about motivation. Number six, this is the last one. And uh, this is, I believe the most important and relevant and helpful one here. So I want you to tune in if, if, if you've tuned out. Number six, you've got far bigger things to worry about than your brother's convictions. Far bigger things. This comes from verse 10 on. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you? why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself, of himself, not of others, of himself, to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Here's the main point of this whole passage. Paul's saying, Whether or not you approve of the things your brother or sister does, pal, you've got far bigger things to worry about. Yourself. Each one of us. That's why I prayed this morning. Let each one of us look inward at ourselves and judge ourselves in this, not other people, because each one of us has to give an account of ourself. Each one of us will be personally evaluated by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that day is drawing near. Now, I want to clarify, this passage is speaking about the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the judgment to determine whether you're saved or unsaved. This is not the judgment to determine whether you're going to heaven or hell. That's a different judgment. This is a judgment that's for believers. And this is a judgment that's for believers to evaluate, to give an account for the things that you've done with your life from the point you were saved on. We don't have time to go into it, but if you want to read more about it, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 on, and it talks about how when you get saved, it's like the foundation you build. It's Jesus Christ. Everyone who's saved has that. And then it gives this illustration of building a house on top of that. That's your life after you're saved. What do you do with that? That's what Jesus Christ is going to judge believers for. It's not about going to heaven or hell. Our sins are as far as the east is from the west, and they will not be brought up legally to condemn or convict us in anywhere in heaven because Jesus died for them. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter how you live once you're a Christian. We have to give an account for the way we live once we're a Christian. And uh, this, is, this is going to be a big deal. Hebrews chapter 4, for example, um, verses 12 and 13, actually describe what it's going to be like on that day when we stand before Jesus Christ. He, he's the living Word of God, and it speaks of that day in verse 12 and 13 where it says... For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of Him to whom we must give account. That's the day we're talking about. And when we stand before Jesus, it's not going to be go, you know, big high fives and uh, you know, let's uh, give Jesus a chest bump. It's not going to be anything like that. He's going to be in all His holiness standing there. And His eyes are going to be like fire. And they are going to see everything. There's nothing that you did in this life that will be hidden from Him on that day. I don't think it's going to be the big screen thing that some people say everybody's going to see what you did. But Jesus will, and you're going to know it. And 1 John chapter 2 actually says that we should live in a way that, speaking to believers, that we will not shrink back in shame on that day. You can waste your life as a Christian, but it's not going to be fun for you on that day. We all have to give an account to Him. This is motivation for us to live a holy life. We should never give someone the motivation to live a holy life by saying, you're not a Christian, you're going to go to hell. This is the motivation the Scripture gives. We have to give an account to God. So, there's no need to stress over other people when you disagree with their convictions. Why? Because they have to give an account to Him too. This, this helps me more than any, anything in this. If, if, somebody's, if somebody's doing something that really bothers me, but it's, it's within that liberty spectrum as a Christian, I'm not going to judge them because that's God's place. And He's going he's to judge them for it. This is the judgment seat of Christ. That's what it's all about. So you don't have to get your knickers in a twist if somebody's bothering you with the way they do or don't do things. That's what this means. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. That's what this is about. This is the motivation for us to not pass judgment on our brothers and sisters. So, just to review, six things to remember when Christians differ with different convictions bother you. One, accept. Don't reject Christians with different opinions than your own. Two, don't quarrel over those opinions. Three, don't despise or judge Christians with different personal convictions. Four, let each Christian be fully convinced in his own mind. Five, understand that people have all kinds of different ways of honoring the Lord. Six, you've got far bigger things to worry about than your brother's convictions. I think this can really help us to be a much healthier church. And I think that many of us are definitely applying these things. But I think we can all, we can all grow in applying this to each of our lives. Let's have the band come up and uh, let me pray and ask God to help us with this. Father, thank You for this Word that is truly a light unto our path and guides us and shows us how to live the Christian life in the way that honors You and pleases You. Lord, help us to honor all men and women in, in this kingdom by respecting their differing opinions on these disputable matters. Help us not to judge and despise other people, but to leave it to You to do because we will all stand before You one day. Help this passage to also really uh, just give us a motivation to worry about ourselves more and to be fully convinced in our own minds of the things we're doing for You in honor of You. And uh, we want to live our lives in honor of You. So whether we play the guitar or don't cut grass on Sunday, Lord, we, we give it to You and we do it for You. In Jesus' name, Amen.